Well, good morning, Kaiga Valley Church. My name is Rick Eimers, and I serve in a role of serve pastor. So I oversee all uh, local, regional, global missions. And uh, if there's ways that you guys want to get involved, I'd be a guy that you'd talk to. So welcome to CVC. Uh, if you are new, and this is your first time ever here, and you don't consider yourself a religious person, we're glad you're here. Hang around long enough, and hopefully you'll find that we're not so religious either. Right? So... But we are, we are in our second week of studying the parables. And last week, Pastor Rick Duncan was sharing, and he shared a definition of parables. And he said, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And they served a couple purposes. For people who had soft hearts, they, were, they made the stories really easy to understand. For those who had hardened hearts... It would just confound and confuse those who already had those hardened hearts. It was brilliant the way that Jesus was able to do this. So we're going to be looking at one of the parables today. And first, to set up the parable, we're going to look at Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Because Jesus, after the setup, goes in and shares three straight parables. And we're going to look at the third parable. And this is what he says. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So right off the bat, this text is saying that there's Pharisees, there's teachers of the law, there's sinners, tax collectors, and the Pharisees, who are the religious people of the day, were muttering under their breath and about the fact that Jesus was Attracting and hanging out with those tax collectors and sinners. In other words, Jesus cared for and loved the difficult people of the day. Probably much like many of you in this room do today. And these, but these people were looking at Jesus and saying, I can't believe you hang with these people. And since Jesus knew what they were thinking and what they were saying, because we believe Jesus was God, so he was able to understand and know what they're thinking and saying. He shared three parables in a row to them, and each parable were pointed and directed to give a punch in the gut to the Pharisees. In three stories, he completely and fundamentally changed all of their assumptions about God, about salvation, and about sin. He offered a completely different, radical new approach to knowing God, to looking at the heart, and understanding the motive of man. And so today, we're going to look at the third of these parables. It's often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Yes. But in this story, I think we're going to see that it's much more than just about this wandering younger son. So God, may we learn today from your word how to truly live as children of God. Convict us and change us to be more like Jesus. Would you use this message from your word to help even one person come to saving faith in Christ or turn back to Christ? Amen. Okay, I'm going to read this third parable um, in Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32. I'll start reading. It'll be on the screen. And he said, he is Jesus. 
There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of, the, of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring a fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fatted calf. And he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and you, I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son. You are always with me, and all that I have is mine, is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead. He's now alive. He was lost, and he's found. This is a famous parable. In a nutshell, it's a story about a family that's in dysfunction. The main characters of the story, there's a dad, there's an elder son, and there's an, a younger son. And we're going to take a look at all three characters in the story with the hope that it helps us understand our own sin in light of a father's love that is just so vast and so limitless. First, I want to look at the younger son. So just very briefly, God, if there's any younger sons in this room, would you convict hearts and draw them to yourself? The story begins when there's a younger son and he approaches his dad and he says, give me the share of the estate. So in these ancient times, 
when a dad died, the older son would get a double portion of the estate. And so when the younger son approached his dad, he basically said, dad, I want a third of everything. Give me a third of everything. As you can imagine, this request angered the elder brother. How could you dishonor our family? Why would you do something so blatantly wrong? This is not how to live life. You see, in that day and age, money wasn't kept liquid like it is today. It wasn't, we didn't even have the 403Bs and the 401Ks. They didn't have mutual funds. They had land, right? And so it would have ultimately taken this dad a little bit of time to take to honor this request. He would have had to sell off portions of his land. He might have given his son money, but he had to sell off land. And in Middle Eastern culture... At that time, to ask for a father's inheritance while he's still alive is a massive insult. It's like spitting in your dad's face and wishing him dead. To get the inheritance is like saying, I'm now done with you. I never want to see you interact with you again. You're dead to me. It's a huge disrespect to the dad, to the brother to the family heritage. And this, res this request not only would have torn the family apart relationally, but it would have ripped their family apart economically. But why would this younger son do this? Well, the story seems to indicate that while this son lived with his father, maybe he's been obeying the father and he got tired of it. He didn't love his dad. He loved the idea of possessions, freedom, more than he loved his own family. This kid's heart was set on wealth and comfort. So his dad, his dad was just a means to an end. Imagine the kind of knife to the heart if your child wished you dead and then systematically watched you sell off your stuff to accommodate his request. So the younger son's lost, right? We can see that. But what are some of the key indicators that would show this to be true? So I'm going to look at this and key indicators of younger brother's lostness, younger son's lostness. He blatantly ripped a family apart. He lived in the text. It says he lived with a feeling of unworthiness, greed, self-centeredness, entitlement, immorality, right? Some of us maybe have seen this as a parent. You've got a son or a daughter who are heading off to college and they're squandering everything. As you and, a, you and your husband or you sit down and you're sitting there going, how long do we keep paying for their education? They're flunking out of their classes. They're in all the fraternities. They're sleeping around. They got a girl pregnant. Like, what do we do? Many of you have maybe even had to experience some of this with a wandering child. And you sit and you pray and you wrestle through and, and you look at the prodigal son and the dad and this dad loved and had grace, but he had made difficult decisions. And, and when you wrestle through those things, you're, you're modeling the heart of God. They're not easy answers. But as we see from the text, the younger son did indeed return and the father embraced him. So most people are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. 
But this text doesn't just look at the younger son. It doesn't end with the prodigal's return. Almost half of the story is about the older son. The story is about two sons who are both alienated from their father, who are both attacking the unity of the family. And I believe that Jesus was setting this up as a way to compare and contrast the two. Sure, the younger son's lost, right? That's easy to see. I mean, when you or I see somebody ruining a family, sleeping with prostitutes, gambling their money away, we can sit there and point fingers and say, now there's someone who's spiritually lost. But in this text, Jesus looks and says, this older son, he's lost as well. So Jesus gives us a startling look at what lostness can look like through the lens of an older brother. So let's look at him. And God, if there's any older brothers in this room, would you convict them even now? So remember, the audience includes Pharisees, teachers of the law. That's important. They'd be looking at the first half of this story and they'd look and go, that's not me, right? These, these Pharisees are hearing Jesus tell this squandering story and he's just like, and they'd look at him and go, do you know what? That guy's got it coming. He deserves everything bad. Yeah, don't give him food from the pigs, right? He, they'd be looking at, the Pharisees would be looking and they'd, they'd feel self-justified because they'd be looking at themselves going, I'm not that guy. That guy deserves what he's got coming. But when we look at the text and we see what the elder brother's heart posture was, it says that he sent a servant to find out what the party was about. And when he heard that it was about his younger brother, he had one emotion, it says. That emotion was anger. Why is my younger brother being given the royal treatment? He tore our family apart. He spit in the face of dad and he's wasted everything. He's turned his back on everything that he's supposed to do. He was also angry because dad showed mercy and grace and love and acceptance. In fact, the text says, dad, you killed the fatted calf for him. In those days, meat was a delicacy. It wasn't like a regular part of the diet. So when they killed the fatted calf, it was like, we brought in the city, right? The community came. We're all eating together. But then, what else is he angry about? It says that he was angry by saying, you placed your best robe on him. You gave him a ring. You put new shoes on him. All of these things were signifying that you just welcomed him back into the family without having to earn his way back in, without having to do anything. Dad, how could you? So when the elder son is saying these things and seeing these things, this is the heart what the elder son is really saying. He's saying this, Dad, you're giving away my inheritance. That was my robe. That was my fatted calf. That was my shoes. And that's my ring. So when the elder son got invited in, he refused. And it was his way of looking at his dad and saying, I don't respect your headship. I don't, 
I don't want anything to do with you. You see, this older son is now being revealed as being lost. And he always has been. In fact, there's a slide that we would have for elder brother lostness. Key indicators of elder brother lostness, self-righteousness, pride, greed, entitlement, right? These are some of the things that we see in the elder brother. Let's, let's look at what this means. In, in the text, Jesus, when Jesus is sharing the story, the dad represents God the Father. The meal represents the feast of salvation. And listen to this. In the end, it's the younger brother who is saved. It's the older one, the one who does what he's supposed to do, is being revealed as not saved. The older brother's been lost, and he always has been. Can you start to see how this would have been like a complete reversal, like a mind-boggling thing for these Pharisees to hear? I can picture them standing in a circle and just like gasping. Like, who is this guy and what is, he's got it all wrong. This is, this is really important though, and I don't want to miss this. What is keeping, what is keeping the older son from salvation? What's keeping him from entering the feast? The text gives a hint in verse 29. It says, when the son says, Dad, I've been slaving for you for many years and I've never disobeyed you. The elder son is lost because of his good behavior. Think about that for a moment. The elder son is lost because of his good behavior. You see, the younger son wanted the wealth not the father. But it becomes very evident in the story that the elder brother was in the exact same place. He wanted his father's things, but he didn't want the father. In fact, he could probably care less for him. He was biding his time, waiting for him to die so he could just get his inheritance. So the text then actually shows two different ways to be lost. One is by breaking all the rules. One is by obeying all the laws and being compliant to them. You see, there's religion and there's Christianity. A religious person obeys all the rules and thinks they deserve God. Or they obey all the rules compliantly. They do the right things, now thinking that maybe that they will just get something from God this side of heaven. And maybe they want to control God. But a Jesus follower is different. A Christian is someone who obeys God because they love him. And they want to please him and they want to have a relationship with him. My sense is, that there are elder brothers in this room. Maybe you go to church religiously. Maybe you've shopped around from church to church and you've ultimately landed on what you think is a new and relevant, exciting church. But it's ultimately your tradition that you fall on and you lean on for salvation. 
One of my favorite pastors is a man in New York City by the name of Tim Keller. He's taught extensively on the topic of the prodigal. And he shares some really important questions that he says that we have to ask as a church. And these are the four questions that he asks us to diagnose whether we might be that elder brother. The first question he asks is this. Do I have a deep anger towards God? See, elder brothers believe that because I'm trying so hard, God should give me a good life. I shouldn't suffer. God should give me what I want because I'm doing the right things, right? And when he doesn't, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm resentful. And then you look at other people and go, God, I'm better than that person. Why are you blessing them with money and cars and beautiful people in their lives? Why are you giving them all that stuff? I'm better than them. If you have ever wrestled with these questions, it's a picture of an elder brother. I'm serving God. Why do I have to be the one with a child with mental illness? Why, why do I have to continue to struggle financially? Why are you not coming through? I can't even meet my sales goals, God. Why are you not giving me the things that I'm doing when I'm doing all the things right? But remember, Jesus lived a perfect life and he suffered terribly. The second question that he asks, am I living out my life with mechanical and joyless compliance? Are you just obeying or doing things out of duty? You're just here checking the box like it's something I'm supposed to do. And it's something other than a heart for Jesus. I mean, you do the right things, but you lack humility. You lack grace. There's pride in your life. You, you, God, you may have my actions, but you don't have my heart or passion. I'm showing up on time to work. I clock in every day on time. I know the jobs that get done. I get them done. But I'm a shell of who I'm created to be, and nothing feels like it has purpose. The third question he asks, am I cold towards younger brother types? It's so easy for us to, when we obediently comply without our hearts being engaged, when we, when we live this way, we don't know grace and we don't know mercy. So we don't show it to others. We look at people with like this judgmental disdain, right? It's, it's one thing to like, lovingly come alongside and restore people in sin, but it's another to step back and prop yourself up and think you're better because you're not doing it. And maybe those who struggle here might look at the younger brother with this level of jealousness. Like they're having fun. They're living carefree and reckless and they got all this stuff going on in their life. And in the back of your mind, you are kind of looking forward to the day that they get knocked down a size. They got it coming. And when they do, you're going to feel pretty good about yourself. The fourth question to diagnose whether we might be elder brothers. Do I have an unforgiving spirit? You see, this elder brother, he didn't even want his younger brother to be forgiven. 
If you're never willing to forgive others for their sin, you're an example of an older brother. If you're angry about a rebellious person giving their life to Jesus, you're an elder brother. Think with me for a moment on this because it's, it can be complicated. What about that person who harmed you, hurt you, angered you, betrayed you? If they truly came to Christ today and they came to you and they asked you for forgiveness, what would, how would you feel? It could be an ex-wife. It could be a husband. It could be a stepchild, a boss. It could be a pastor. It could be a priest. It could be an old football coach. Are you celebrating? Or deep down, are you angry? Angry with God that he would show grace to this person. I know there's scenarios like this that when you tease them out, they can be difficult. But what is God's love for people who come to him? I want to take a moment and share because this, this text has been difficult for me because like for years I would read this story and I would just, you know, I would think this is, this is the story about the prodigal son, right? The younger one. <clears throat> and I'd read this story and it was like, you know, it's about the younger brother who's doing all the things and, and his sin and God restored him. And never did I ultimately consider the fact that that other brother was this guy. Right? I would look at that I would look at that younger brother and say, I I don't do that. You know, I know God's proud of me. I'm a pretty good guy. Right? Like I saved myself for marriage, right? Like I I came like you ask my mom. She says I'm a good kid, you know, like it, and but but it was about 15 years ago that it was about 15 years ago that I was confronted in my own heart and life that I'm the older brother. I didn't see it. I never veered off course. I didn't, I didn't squander. I didn't, I didn't live years of rebellious living. I was a compliant guy. But the turning point for me happened in, I was living in Philadelphia, and it was like in a context of what we would call life group. And I was in a group like that, and we would do Bible study together, and it just like hit me one day, like, I'm the older brother. And let me share, do you realize that the older brother is the more dangerous position to be in? I mean, the younger brother knew he was alienated from his father. The, el- the elder brother didn't. They both had the same heart. They just acted differently. So is it possible that right now in our midst... We have people in our midst who need to repent like I did over all the reasons I was doing good to begin with. Is it possible that we've got people in this room who need to repent over all the reasons that they're doing good to begin with? That's a hard question. And it's one to chew on. Now, if this story were an actual story and not a parable, the elder brother in this story would have had a different story. At the beginning, I said he was given a double portion, right? He was given a double portion because 
he had more responsibility. It was, it was actually the older brother's responsibility to maintain family heritage. It was the older brother's responsibility to maintain family unity. So it would have been the older brother's responsibility to seek out his younger brother, to find him, to bring him home to safety on his expense. Much like Jesus did for you and I. But the older brother in this story did None of those things. Because his heart was hard. There's, there's good news in this story. The gospel is all over this story. In the story of the gospel, Jesus Christ is our true elder brother. When you and I were completely lost, desperately in need to be rescued, Jesus came at his expense to reconcile us back to the Father. See, God is gracious and loving towards younger brothers and older brothers. See, in the story, the dad runs out to the younger brother with love and grace and acceptance. But he also went out to the older brother and he pleaded with him and he gave the elder brother opportunities to repent. See, if, if you're the younger brother, it's likely that you've felt conviction in your life because you know what you're doing is wrong. But if you're the older brother, it's possible that you've gone your whole life and never realized it. It's been a blind spot for you. As a true follower of Christ, if you and I are, you and I have awesome, awesome opportunities. Because of what Christ did as our true elder brother, we can now be true elder brothers. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus to a lost and dying world. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are squandering and out there recklessly living. We can show love and grace. Because God is merciful, we can be merciful. As a church, I would ask us that we all, including myself, this has not been an easy passage to wrestle with all week, to look at our own hearts. I mean, you and I are here, right? Like, most of us in this room probably come regularly, but do you ever ask the question, why? Is it possible that there's a, a wife who comes every week with a heart sensitive to God? She comes with joy, she loves Jesus and she's sitting next to a husband who just religiously comes because she wants him to and he feels like he's okay. Elder brother. Is it possible that we have a middle school kid in this room right now who thinks because he does his chores, he gets straight A's, he comes to church, he makes his bed in the morning, He's living compliantly that he's a follower of Jesus. Isn't that sound like the model kid that we want to raise? Might we be raising elder brothers? Could there be a young adult in this room who thumbs their nose down at people who squander things and live in life recklessly through the frat houses and, and they don't have compassion on these people 
who are hurting and struggling and recklessly living. No, they step back and they self-righteously look at themselves and think, I would never do that. God is so much more proud of me. Unless you and I know the difference between religiosity and Christianity, we're going to fall into moralistic behavior and completely miss out on what it means to be a Christ follower. So let's briefly just look. What would religiosity be? I can earn favor with God. I never question motives of the heart. If I'm compliant, God will bless me. But what is true Christianity? God's love for me is not earned or deserved. My actions are an outflow of a heart that's been forgiven. My joy is not dependent upon good circumstances. There's a lot of pastors that look at church-wide stats, you know, sociologically, demographically, and and we look at things, and in the 1980s, it would say upwards of 80% of people, outside people, outside the church wall people, would be willing to come to church just off of invitation. You'd give them a card, invite them, there's a chance they're going to come. In 2019, those those numbers have reversed. Outside of these walls, across across the board, they're saying 80% of people who don't go to church would never step foot in church even if invited. A simple card handing them to somebody, that's not going to do it for the majority. Today, relationship and heart and integrity, authenticity, transparency, it all matters so much more. Do your neighbors see that your heart matches your words and your actions? It's really humbling to consider that the 80% who would never step foot in these doors just off of invitation, it's humbling to consider that many of them won't consider the claims of Christ because you're the one representing Jesus to them. With the statistics as they are, is it possible it is it possible that those who aren't coming into the four walls are the ones who are the younger sons who are don't feel like they can come back in is it possible if that's true that churches are becoming more and more full of the elder son who mechanically obey and that they might be the very reason why younger sons won't be willing to come back through these doors That's a hard question for me to wrestle with. And then what if, what if there's out of 1500 people coming through these doors every weekend, what if there's 300 siblings or relatives that are really close to our people that have squandered, that they're living recklessly, but they haven't come back because of this, because of because of the way that people in here have self-righteous pride, what if you reached out to them this week? What if you apologized and asked for forgiveness for judging with self-righteousness rather than just, just welcoming them home and loving them for who they are and inviting them back to Christ? How might God use those conversations if we all did those with people in our lives, if we have them? I'm going to invite the band back up to close. And I want to 
ask us to take a moment to reflect. There are people that we said, like, it's not always a salvation issue, right? Before Christ, we're either the younger brother or the older brother. But once we come to Christ, don't we kind of lean one way or the other? Sometimes we're both, right? Like I'm squandering and I'm, or I'm judging. So even as believers, we can lean one way or the other. But some people in this room tonight, this morning might identify with the younger brother. You're hearing this story and you say, yes, I've squandered everything. I'm selfish. I feel so unworthy. I wrestle with guilt and shame. I look at older brothers and I feel like I can't measure up. There's such good news for you. God welcomes you home with open arms. You're approaching home. And he's running to you and he's full of joy wanting you to come home. And he says to you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All you have to do is accept his grace. Because Jesus died for you to allow you the benefit of being treated like a favored son. He'll put his robe on you. He'll kill the fatted calf for you. He'll put a ring on you and give you new shoes. The Father accepts you as you are. And our true elder brother, Jesus, is pursuing you and wants you to come home. But some of us here would look and go, this elder brother? Yeah, you're talking to me. I look at myself and say, I deserve all the good that I get. They don't deserve the good that they get. In fact, they deserve all the bad. You feel resentful or angry when things don't go your way. <clears throat> You're angry at God over that. Maybe you have a deep bitterness <clears throat> over the good that's happening to other people. You wish ill upon them. And you judge them, comparing them not to Christ, but to your self-righteousness. <clears throat> this is a very dangerous place to be, brothers and sisters. You see, it, the dad didn't have to plead with the younger son. He just welcomed him in. Isn't it interesting that he had to plead? He had to plead with the older brother to see. The older brother's heart was so hard he couldn't even see his own sin. If this is you, I'm pleading with you to look in the mirror and ask God to reveal to you that this is you because you are not representing Christ to a lost and dying world. But God's grace is so good and it extends to you as well. You know the good news? God will place a robe on you. He wants to kill the fatted calf for you. He wants to give you new shoes and a new ring. And he will treat you like the favored child. So God, would your spirit work in hearts of the people in this room, including my own, and watching online. Convict hearts. Draw people to yourself. And lavish grace as only you can.
Amen.